You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Reverend Venita, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm one of the co-pastors of teaching and community here at Forefront, and I am so grateful for your presence here today and online. I'm really excited about being able to take a sermon that I preached on last year entitled Born Again 2.0 and bring it into this sermon series, Communion and the Cross, um, with encouragement from my staff and make this Born Again the remix. <laughs> so, be, so some of the material may sound familiar to some of you, but it certainly connects well with our sermon series at this time. So before I accepted my position here at Forefront, I had been going through a number of years of working through a number of things that I had been taught in my faith. I was going through deconstructing and reconstructing maybe for the past 20 years. And to be quite honest, I'm still trying to work things out. Um, these experiences have come in various churches, um, in my seminary. Um, they've come in faith-based spaces in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And here I am today still seeking God and still being open to this progressive work and to this progressive process. I remember one day after church, um, I used to go to church in Lower Manhattan, and I uh, heard a wonderful sermon, and the only way that I could explain how I was feeling was to put it into these words. I told my friend, you know, with my embracing progressive theology, I really feel like I've been born again. <laughs> and this was this new experience of being born again. This experience was very different from my past experiences of being born again, the, the kind that I had been exposed to, this understanding that humankind was depraved and that our very sinful nature required the need for a savior, uh, that in order to receive Jesus's full love, we needed to believe that Jesus died on the cross. We needed to accept Jesus into our heart as our personal savior, and then we would be saved. We would go through the ABCs. Has anyone been familiar with the ABCs? Yes. You acknowledge your sins, you believe that Jesus died for you, and you confess that Jesus is Lord, and then you're saved. <laughs> then you're born again. And the big thing was about being saved, you were saved to escape hell. So in order to let others know that there was someone who could save them so they didn't have to go to hell, we were always encouraged to share this message of salvation and being born again with anyone that we met. And that's what I did, individually and collectively with my church, with my friends. We would spread the gospel in a myriad of ways. 
And one of the ways that we did that was through street evangelism. And our whole church would be out there on the sidewalk in front of our church. And I grew up going to church right here in Harlem. And uh, we would have all of the musicians outside. And we'd have a podium. And we'd have a, a big time microphone. And we'd be preaching to everybody that walked by. And I'm sure people probably felt very intimidated. However, at that time, it really didn't matter. We were out there singing, preaching, and handing out tracks. Tracks. Has anyone ever handed out a track before? Okay, thank you. I was, I'm not the only one. All right, so this is a very familiar practice. It's actually a centuries-old practice. Reverend Charles Spurgeon, who was an English Baptist preacher, he was actually known as the Prince of Preachers. Uh, he lived in the 1800s. He actually said this with regard to tracks. Let each one of us, if we have done nothing for Christ, begin to do something now. The distribution of tracts is the first thing. When preaching and private talk are not available, you need to have a track ready. Get good striking tracks or none at all. But a touching gospel track may be the seed of eternal life. Therefore, do not go out without your tracks. That's what he said. So this is what we were taught. This is what so many of us have been taught. And this is what I practiced. I mean, honestly, I was a tract handing out machine. I would give out tracts to friends. I would hand tracts to toll collectors. I would leave a tip and then sneak a track there. I would put it in books and things of that nature because I wanted people to be born again. I wanted people to be saved from their sins. How many people have heard of Billy Graham? Yeah, so very well-known evangelist to world leaders and to presidents, and he also spent time sharing the gospel in villages, towns, and cities across the globe. Um, it's estimated that Billy Graham preached to more than 215 million people during more than 70 years of ministry. He passed away a few years ago. And some friends and I were actually trained by members of the Billy Graham Crusade. And people all over the country were trained in a particular way. And then when he would come to your city, you would have the opportunity to be one of the counselors who would be there to help lead others to Christ. So some years ago in Manhattan, Billy Graham came to Central Park. And I had the opportunity, along with some friends, to be right there as one of the counselors to help lead people to Jesus Christ, to help them become born again, right in Central Park. And the way they did it was that we would have a team leader. This is someone who did the training for us. And when Billy Graham would make the altar call, he would invite people to come down to the stage, and then those of us who were the counselors would look at our team leader, they would give us the eye and tell us which person to go to, and then we would stand behind that person, and after they came to the Lord, then we would give them materials to help them in their new life with Christ. Um, so they had everything really organized and, and orchestrated quite well. So we see this terminology of being born again in the third chapter of John. Jesus is in conversation with Nicodemus, a Pharisee, from a very influential religious sect who 
approaches Jesus. He seems to be in a time of searching and uncertainty in his life, a time of openness, curiosity, and questioning, like many of us today. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and he believes that Jesus was indeed sent by God because Nicodemus says, because no one could do these signs apart from the presence of God. So there are speculations surrounding why Nicodemus approached Jesus at night. Perhaps he didn't want others to know because Jesus didn't really have the best reputation. Maybe he was embarrassed because he was a religious leader and maybe he thought that he should have, owned, he should have already known some of these things. But anyway, he approaches Jesus by night and we pick up at John chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. And it reads, Jesus responded and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a person be born when he is old? He cannot enter his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which has been born of the flesh is flesh, and that which has been born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed. Some versions say, marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. So, while Nicodemus takes being born again literally, how can one be born again a second time, he asks. Jesus uses this metaphor about birth to convey a message about a new birth, a different type of renewal, a renewal in the spirit. While these verses have been used to help people have hope and trust in a living Jesus, with the literal read, these same verses have also been used to exclude and reject people from church, from faith in God, from families, from religions, from separating and separating some indigenous communities from their beliefs and practices, and from the communion table. One of our theological distinctives here at Forefront relates to scriptural interpretation. We believe that we're growing in our understanding of scripture. Scripture is not dead. God still speaks to us through it. Our eyes are open to all of the ways that scripture is a wonderful library of wisdom that still teaches us to this day, we take scripture too seriously to take it literally. What if these verses in John were not solely to serve as the foundation for a belief system that would cause us to be either accepted or rejected by God? What if this passage was more about opening up our eyes to see those in need around us? What if these passages were simply related to how we can connect with the loving God and how we can deepen our faith? What if these verses help establish 
friendships with one another and to help build people up instead of tearing people down in all of their identities? What if these verses lead us to cultivating something revolutionary, a radically inclusive faith community where people are encouraged to connect with Jesus freely, where we rejoice with those who rejoice and where we weep with those who weep and where we grieve with those who grieve and where we celebrate with those who celebrate without necessarily walking down an aisle, without necessarily saying the ABCs or a particular prayer, without necessarily getting everything right all the time, without doing one thing to earn God's love. This would help us understand that all that we're doing may even be considered being born again from gathering in small groups to participating in justice work, to being involved in community service projects, to worshiping on Sunday mornings here together and around the world virtually, to singing together, to hearing sermons, to praying for each other, to sharing communion together, where we see and help those who are in need, the least of these, and where we work to challenge systemic oppression everywhere. These are beautiful reflections of spiritual renewal and perhaps being born again with each other in community, inside and outside of these four walls. The truth is that these verses should always lead us to love and humility which should be our focus anyway as we read scripture, putting no limits on God's grace or who God will embrace. It seems Nicodemus had been observing the teaching and the miracles of Jesus. It seems he was intrigued by the way Jesus touched the lives of people who were deemed unlovable and untouchable the way Jesus had compassion for everyone, revealing the presence of God. When we show compassion in how we connect and relate to each other and show love, we reveal the presence of God and we can transfer this love and this light to other people. As I mentioned earlier, Nicodemus was a Pharisee and the word itself comes from the Aramaic word parashaya, meaning separated or separatist. Jesus helped Nicodemus see things in a different way, a way of inclusion and a way of connection, not separation. You know, a pivotal moment came in my faith journey when one women's day, I was about 13 years old. I was between going from eighth grade to ninth grade. I was sitting there in worship, and one minute I was in the pew, and the next minute I was down in front of the altar, crying, doing the ABCs, saying the sinner's prayer, giving my life to Jesus Christ. And it was fascinating that I found myself in front of that altar, I have to tell you, because our 
family had very interesting, very unique faith traditions. On one hand, we were worshiping at a Catholic church in our hometown where services were one hour. And then on the other hand, we were worshiping in Harlem where services were three hours. So <laughs> when I gave my life to the Lord at this Pentecostal church, you know, it was interesting because I would always tell my mom, come on, mom, can't we just stay in Teaneck and just go to the Catholic church because Service is only one hour, and we get to wear what we want. We don't have to worry about dressing up and all of that. But as God would have it, I, I opened up my heart to the Lord uh, in New York City, and that was my church home for over 30 years. And, and I have to tell you that even though my faith has evolved so much this during, since that time, I've experienced many twists and turns in my faith walk. I am so grateful for every spiritual marker that I have been through. I am grateful for every spiritual marker that I have experienced. And I have to say, at a certain point, when I started delving more into progressive theology, I was so ticked off and so bitter. But at this point in my life now, I am just grateful for all of those experiences. I am not bitter. I feel like I am better for having them because honestly, even though there were some questionable experiences, all of those experiences have led me to where I am now. So I thank God for that, for the opportunity now to bring people in, to have people excluded, included and feel like they belong rather than have people excluded in the way that I was doing before, chasing people down with tracks, having people go through certain things, telling people that they need to do this and that in order to be born again or to be saved. And I thank God for being renewed and being born again daily, where I can receive the good news of Jesus, where I can receive the love continually. And I feel excited and refreshed when my focus is on a loving God rather than being so concerned and so caught up with what other people are doing with their faith and being so concerned with, well, is this person really saved or not? Or did they go through these steps or not, right? That's exhausting. And that takes up a lot of energy when the energy could really be focused on what am I doing to love others? What am I doing to bring people in rather than leave people out? So I'm grateful to have opened up myself to be in a position to now help others be enlightened. And I have to say that um, I don't throw shade at my past or all of those churches or all of those wonderful individuals who helped teach me and nurture me. I know sometimes I might sound a little shady, but I'm not trying to throw shade. <laughs> um, the reality is, again, I am, I am grateful for each and every one of those per people because they're out there still, still doing the work. And in a lot of ways, there are people who are being touched and motivated in those spaces. And that's why we have so many different churches and so many different denominations and experiences and I believe that we will have a very different theological base and differences in how we believe until Jesus comes um, but I'm erring on the side of love I I'm grateful that I'm here I'm grateful that I feel God's presence here and we're helping people live and grow and breathe but people can still hold on to what they believe and I know even here 
right? We believe a number of different things. And maybe some of you are holding on to what you believed and maybe not fully surrendering. Um, there's an interesting story of a Japanese soldier who didn't fully surrender. Maybe some of you have heard this story. The story of Hiro on Onoda, who was an intelligence officer who fought in World War II. And when the war had ended, and when messages were trying to come to this Japanese soldier, he, he didn't believe what he was being told. He didn't believe the messages that people were trying to send to him that the war was over, and he refused to surrender until 29 years later. He was actually in hiding until 1974, until he received specific orders from his superior officer, did he ultimately believe. So <clears throat> I'm not saying here, you must believe everything that we say, right? We talk about this in our Kinship Cafe, right? However, <clears throat> if we can be in a place where we can be free and liberated in this revolutionary type of thinking and theology, you know, why not lean in a little bit farther, closer, right? Why not be open to all God has for us? Why not be fully accepting of God's love and be in full surrender? I thank God for the good news and the goodness of God and all that we are experiencing here at Forefront. I thank God for God's abundant joy, for God's grace, and for all of the beautiful things that flow out of being connected to God. And after all, that's what love equals. Love equals connection, which is why we're always encouraging others to get connected so that we can continue to experience being born again in community with each other. I am heartened and rejoicing in the fact that so many people are being renewed in every season of uncertainty. And I encourage all of us to continue to be patient with our processes and no matter what is happening in our lives, to just be open to what God is doing. Again, I've had many experiences and I will err on the side of love. And I will say, no matter what is happening, you may have all this world. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me world. Give me Jesus. Remember that God loves us. And as we prepare for communion at this time, all are welcome to the table. Those of you who are worshiping virtually, I would encourage you to gather the elements that you have put aside to receive communion at this time. 
In the house, we will be receiving gluten-free bread. Please um, pay attention to what is gluten-free. Um, there's a bit of a mixture in certain places. Uh, and we have alcohol-free juice. For those who um, are in sobriety at this time and to allow our children to participate in our communion as well. At this time, I would like to invite us all to come to the communion table where we are all welcome. I would invite you to remain standing and hold your elements until we all receive and then we'll receive together. You are welcome to come at this time. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.